0: Life's good! Never off! Close!
1: Hard! Hardly yes. Come on, Rant! Life's good! Got real close. I hair high, right? Trying to hit two-thirds. Have they no. saved oh. it for yeah, her? It. Yes, they
0: have! Ooh. Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott, alongside, as always, hello, Scott.
1: Sean, it's been quite a four-year journey. For mm-hmm. us, for the players, for the fans out there, you know, we said it before the event. This is why we lift all those weights. That's right. We've made it, Sean, <laughs> uh, through a quadrennial, not only, you know, uh, as fans, but uh, we've been doing the podcast now for four years. Yeah, just over four years.
0: We started the 2018 Scotty's Tournament of Hearts it was our first episode that we previewed and went all the way through those Olympics in Pyeongchang, and now we've gone through the Olympics in Beijing. It's we've seen it all, Scott. The highs, the lows, the monotony of times of uh, the curling schedule, but it's it's been quite a journey. And we've been there uh, every step of the way. Uh, and, well, not every step of the way. A lot of the steps of the way we've been there.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy to think, you know. Uh, we just thought, hey, we like talking about curling. Yeah. Why not talk about it into microphones and see if anybody else wants to join the conversation? And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Sean, do we have any word yet on whether we'll, our team will stick together for the next quadrennial? Do Do we have from the authorities... The, the well we're exploring order.
0: we're exploring all our options you know there's uh, discussions going on across the curling community we've got to see what other teams might break up and what opportunities might present themselves scott so i think it might still be a little too early to make any definitive comment on <laughs> fair that enough. <laughs> fair enough if- We'll pull a we'll pull a goo shoe and be like, hey, we'll play. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens. You know, whatever. We'll uh, we'll get to that situation a little bit later. Uh, but yeah, it'll be a, a interesting s- spring summer talking about who uh, who will break up, who won't break up. I think the latter is going to be a lot shorter than the former list there, and uh, mm-hmm. that apparently includes a couple of podcast duos that I've heard of, Scott. And by a couple, wow. I mean one has hinted at potentially retiring from the podcast game, but, uh, I don't know. There's been more entries into it since we started and it's been a lot of fun. It's a fun
1: community to be a part of. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a uh, really nice, uh, all, all the interaction we get on social media too is pretty fun. I'll, I'll admit Sean does most of it. I, <laughs> I step in from time to time, but, uh, no, I still get the notifications on my phone, uh, interact with everybody. It's a lot of fun. So, uh, huh. For what it's worth, uh, I'll be here. There you go. Okay. And, uh, you know, Scott, we did...
0: uh, Well, I'll I'll tell you the specifics of it offline, but... Did get a bit of a milestone on social media this week. uh, I was was kind of excited about for about 20 minutes and then it went away and then it came back. And uh, (laughs) so uh, so exciting things are going on, Uh, partly because the Olympic Games were going on in Beijing. It is all wrapped up. The closing ceremony is done as we are speaking here late Monday afternoon, Eastern time. In North America, a lot of the folks are on their way home. I saw Wayne Madad tweeted that he had made it to Hong Kong and was about to get on a flight that is departing Tuesday in Hong Kong, landing Monday in Toronto. One of those weird uh, world things that, that you get when you fly from Asia back to North America where... You can you, you lose a day going, you get it back on the on the way back uh, into North America. So he's there, Price Atkinson. He was tweeting oh. from the plane, the charter, I guess that the the U.S. Olympic team got. They they got those service. He wow. said they were flying somewhere over Russia, and he was uh, tweeting about uh, just reflecting on the experience of being there. He did a great job with the USA social media team mm-hmm. over there. So yeah, so people are starting to come back. Mike Harris is leaving. He's going to the Swiss Women's Championship, which is happening now, as is the Scottish Championship. So there's still a lot going on in the world of curling, Scott, but uh, we thought it'd be good to put a bit of a bow on Beijing 2022 on the Olympic side. Of course, we still have Beijing 2022 Paralympics to look forward to, which I'm very excited about uh, for the Canadian side as they will try to... uh, I don't know if get revenge is the right way to put it, uh, but certainly controversy in 2018 mm-hmm. in their game against Team China. And it's uh, so they'll be looking to get that gold medal that uh, they had a good chance of in 2018. So we still have some, some things to look forward to in Beijing 2022. But in terms of the Olympics, Scott, and the curling in particular, what is your initial takeaway from the two and a half weeks of action that we had from the
1: Ice Cube? I think... It what we thought going in was s- sort of what we got, right? The women's field, very deep, very strong. We got them sort of beating up on each other, but in the end, uh, the, f- the championships final was probably not what we expected, but not something out of a uh, total left field
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the men's side. We talked about there being a clear three and a drop off after that. And that's what we saw manifest in the metal podium. Mm-hmm. So kind of, it was kind of, yeah, what we thought going in happened. There were, you know, some interesting results or uh, interesting points, but not a lot of huge surprises. Yeah, I agree. There was nothing that really stood out on
0: the four person side, a little bit on the mixed double side. And, and we'll, we can talk about that because uh, we really haven't done a full breakdown of the mixed doubles on the show. But Scott, let's start with what we just saw. we will go in reverse chronological order here. Uh, The last game of the Olympic Games was that final between Great Britain and Japan on the women's side. Eve Muirhead really dominated that game from start to finish, I thought, Scott. Mm that There was no point in that game where Suzuki Fujisawa and her squad were pushing the play. Eve Muirhead, from the the start to the finish, she controlled every end. She was never chasing. They, They were just so precise throughout the course of the game. That was... Really just clinical precision from the first rock to the last rock for Team GB. And really, there's nothing that Fujisawa could have done. She wasn't great. She was heavy on a few shots herself. Uh, A couple opportunities to score. She had a chance at a multiple. I believe it was the sixth end and was heavy with her last. But I don't know, Scott. Just clinical from Eve.
1: Oh, yeah. Big time. They weren't missing anything. And this would be the kind of game that would be very frustrating to be the opponent. Right, Sean. You and I, we played in a, a game at the Ottawa Club where the opponents didn't seem to miss anything, mm-hmm. and then when they did, we would miss a shot, and we could so we couldn't take advantage of their very few misses, and and yeah. that was extremely frustrating uh, as a player to be like, "Come on, can't we do anything?" Like they're making everything perfect. Uh, it, it was just you said clinical. I think that's the right word for it. It was it was awesome to see even her team. For for Eve Muirhead, her fourth Olympic Games, this might be the culmination of the career. Maybe not. Who knows? But what a way to go out. Uh, you just had to feel really great for that team, watching them you know, celebrate that victory.
0: Yeah, no question. Uh, very exciting. Eve, of course, has had those health setbacks. She's had surgery on both of her legs and hips. Uh, she's she's not old, Scott. She's younger than both of us, yes. and yet it feels like she's been around forever because this was her fourth time at the Olympic Games, and she does get that breakthrough. And it will be curious to see what women's Scottish currently looks like moving forward, uh, and whether that means that Eve wants to take on another cycle or not. She certainly has other opportunities, as we know, professional opportunities there in Scotland that maybe. She wants to take a step back from the curling side. I don't know, uh, but it, it was very cool to see. There was a video, too, that they posted. Uh, Rona Martiner greeted her uh, afterwards as well. So uh, sort of the changing of the guard of the Great Britain women's gold medalist. It was a very cool moment to have Rona there uh, 20 years after she won her gold medal in Salt Lake City. So uh, mm-hmm. congratulations to Eve Muirhead and her team. And also congratulations to Satsuki Fujisawa and her team. For the silver medal, best ever finish for Japan at an Olympic Games. Scott, they were going into this, I think, one of those teams that we had maybe in the bottom half of the field in terms of expectations. But what we said in the show is that, yeah, they could, they could certainly make the playoffs as I think nine teams or at least eight teams in the field could have.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But what did you see from them? Because when you look at some of the peripherals, They were minus three on scoring over the course of the week. Great Britain, not coincidentally, perhaps, was the best at plus 24. But they were minus on the scoring. Their force efficiency wasn't particularly good. Their last stone efficiency was a little lower than where you might want to see it for a top-level team. It was comparable with some of the other teams. But I don't know. Like The peripheral numbers, I'm looking at them, Scott. Nothing stands out for me. So how did they do this? And what does this mean potentially for curling in Japan, do we think?
1: Well, they sort of did it. Eve Muirhead's team also finished five and four in the round robin uh, along with Japan. So maybe a bit unexpected that those were the two that would come together in that final. But uh, Team Japan did it by beating the right teams to get there. She took care of Canada when she had the opportunity, uh, was able to, you know, get Get those wins at the start, and then as she, as her team and her kind of faded a bit by the end of the week. It's a long competition, as we all know. Uh, they had enough in the in the bank already to be able to withstand the onslaught uh, from those charging teams at the end of the week, like Team Canada uh, and Jennifer Jones. So that, to my mind, was was how they got there. They beat who they were supposed to, and banked that win against Canada.
0: And kind of crazy, too, when you look at some of the the numbers. So Japan was the first ranked team in terms of percentage of the course of the week. They didn't have a game under eighty percent. But Fujisawa herself was the first skip. Like she she had the best shooting percentage of the skips where at the third and the second position, they were fifth. So middle of the pack. So you'll and first at the lead position. But if you're looking at this, it's really Fujisawa herself over the course of the week was carrying the team and making up, for some deficiencies earlier in the lineup relative to the rest of the field so she's coming in throwing in less advantageous positions over the course of the week making those big shots keeping them in games so great week for her personally also somewhat curiously to scott great britain and japan eighth and ninth respectively in the jaw shot challenge and when we're looking at a potential tie break of four teams at the end of the week that mm-hmm. It's the eighth, ninth, and tenth team in Draw Shot Challenge that are, are coming together. So I just look at this as, you know, we've always known Fujisawa was a great player. They didn't quite put it together throughout the course of the week the way that we've seen them do it in the past. They come through with two amazing games in the playoffs, put themselves yeah. in in position. Well, an amazing game in the semifinal, little off in, in the final, but they kept up with Eve. It wasn't a blowout until Eve cracked that four. Yeah. They're in the, the eighth end. So uh, full credit to Team Japan and Fujisawa. They're a lot of fun. And I, I tweeted that after the game, that they're in tears. They're obviously disappointed, upset they didn't win, but they, they didn't stop smiling, man. They were still out there having a good time. I, I think in the disappointment, they recognized immediately the achievement of a silver medal, what that meant and how hard they had worked to get to that point. So it was very cool to see them up on that podium
1: yeah for sure. I, I'm just looking at who they lost to. So they lost to Great Britain, Sweden, Switzerland, yeah uh, the other the other playoff teams, and they lost to Korea as well. Uh, so you know, they, like I said before, beat who they were supposed to beat for the most part, uh, and weren't as good against that top tier competition. Going back to what you were saying about the draw shot challenge, it's sort of strange for the team that was number one in shooting percentage all week to end up, what is it, ninth in draw shot challenge. Because mm-hmm. you think, oh, well, if they're making the shots during the games why 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 not the draw shot challenge as, as well? It's like the same shot. It should be, should be easier in theory, right?
0: Mm-hmm. It should be, but
1: apparently <laughs> but, not. Yeah, apparently not. There you go. So, uh yeah I mean uh, great job by their team. They were the bronze medalists four years ago. They up their standing by one to become the silver medalist this year. will we see see them again in four years? I'm not sure uh it's tough for any team to go two cycles, let alone let alone three yeah but uh they they're a lot of fun to watch as always. um they look like they were having fun and not letting the pressure of the moment get to them too much.
0: Yeah, and there's a competition in Japan, too. you got Team Yoshimura there. They've played at the high level. They were there at the the Japanese championship for the Olympic qualifier in the summer, early fall. So it's not like they have just this unimpeded path to get back if they want to keep going. So that's another factor, too. They could keep playing the next quad and not qualify out of Japan. Uh, There is the depth there that somebody can challenge them. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's it's not a given if they if they want to go. So Scott, let's uh, talk about the semifinals too because they were kind of crazy. Uh, you get Japan beats Switzerland eight to six, and Great Britain beats Sweden twelve to eleven. And I looked up at one point, and I was like, "Oh, Suzanne Burt got there. When did she get to? Uh, when did she get to to, to Beijing?" Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, kind of crazy that game. Uh, big scores all over the place between. Eve Muirhead, and Anna Hasselberg. 11-8 going to the 10th end. Sweden cracks the three, and then Eve is able to get the two ticks in the 11th end. And the 11th end, frankly, wasn't that exciting. But what a game, Scott. like like That's a game that you expect. Like, all right, it's Tuesday morning at the Scotties of the Briar. People aren't quite awake yet. And like, oh, look at all these points. You don't expect yeah. that in the Olympic semifinal.
1: No, and that, and that was Friday, Sean, right? So... I had uh, I had a doctor's appointment and I so I turned it off after the eighth end or the, mm-hmm. the ninth end after they went up 11 to eight I was like well they're not gonna they're not <laughs> gonna blow that go try to start to clear my car off because it snowed a bunch and uh, my, my friend Gordy texted me and he goes holy cow, great game, uh, Sweden, Great Britain going to the extra. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. and, and Gordon likes curling, follows curling, but he's not uh, usually, I would say, getting up to watch the morning draw of any particular curling event. So yeah, this uh, this was a great game that captivated a lot of audiences. And, and it was like they gave up a four in the first end, second end, something like that. I believe it was the second, yeah. We'll talk about this more when we talk about the big ends. But it, usually if you give up a big end, you lose That yeah, against this caliber of competition, right? You'd prefer to do it in, in the early game so you have a chance to build back. I and mean, that's what we saw. We saw not giving up, uh, still going to, to shot by shot. They claw back with a three, I believe, in the very next end. Uh, and then continue just chipping away right? Yeah. Uh, take two, give them one. And they did a great job of that in the second half of the game, limiting the scoring of uh, of the Swedish team yeah, while maximizing their own opportunities with the hammer.
0: Yeah, it was an absolute masterclass in how to rebound from the big score and how to manage the scoreboard through the rest of the game. So yeah, 4-3, and then they do give up another deuce, but they get the key forces and a big steal when they need it. And just for good measure, you crack a four of your own. So just you don't expect Anna Hasselberg to lose after scoring four in the first end. No, but you also would say, if you're looking at it, well, even your head scored a three and a four in the course of the game. So how could she lose too? like, it's just mm-hmm. it, things happen that you wouldn't expect to happen uh, in that game and it was a lot of fun to watch and uh, I'm very glad that I was able to watch
1: that one live. Yeah, and that, that ninth end in particular was pretty fun. Uh, a- Anna was trying to get the angles just right and was a little heavy on the last one to, to chip things like in exactly the wrong place and as soon as it came to rest I go, oh that's there for four. <laughs> <laughs> huh? And uh, you know, the even the team took a, a couple minutes to look it over, talk about it. And uh, decided on the right shot and made it. Yeah. Uh, so so I'll credit there for that. Sean, do you want to switch to the other semifinal Japan and Switzerland? This Swiss team is one that it, they were near the top all week uh, in the standings, in the percentages. Uh, we spoke on our sort of half halfway update last week about, you know they were a bit shaky in their first couple games, mm-hmm. but sort of got the momentum going remembered oh we're really good uh and we're beating teams down and then in, in this game giving up that big four in the in the fifth end uh was a real dagger
0: yeah not something that you typically expect to see out of uh, a and you look at the numbers for that game molina pats is a little low in the semifinal, as in, uh, as is uh sylvana both throwing in the seventies and that's just not what you expect from them. And so, yeah, when Japan cracks that big for there in the fifth, as you say, Scott, not really a lot of opportunity for them to come back and really cemented in the sixth. Then when they get that steel,
1: Japan does. And that that deal was, was probably like the, if that was the four was the dagger, the the steel was the twisting uh, of the knife for team Japan there.
0: Yeah, I mean, Taranzoni does come back with a three in the seven to get it within a point, but it's so hard to, to come back. You're down late in the game. You don't have the hammer. Really tough to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So congratulations to the medalist. I didn't see any of the bronze medal games, Scott. Did you happen in the middle of the night?
1: Yeah, no, it was uh, on too late or early <laughs> for me as, uh, as it were. But yes. uh, no, no surprise, really. Like, I'm sure it was a good game. Seeing Switzerland play against Sweden, I think, is what we all would have expected in the final. Yeah. And nonetheless, it's always a good matchup when those two come together.
0: Absolutely. So uh, congratulations to Anna Hasselberg. She gets another medal at the Olympic Games with a bronze. Alina Patz really struggled in the bronze medal game down at 64%. So your medalists. Great Britain, Japan, and Sweden. Sylvana Taranzoni gets fourth. Scott, let's talk about who finished in fifth, real quick. That would be your team from Canada in Jennifer Jones. They lose out on draw shot challenge, finished tenth, lost out to the eighth and ninth place teams in Japan and Great Britain, as I mentioned. And what was a pretty crazy finish. On the women's side, people were looking at the permutations overnight, like what could happen. It was Mm -hmm. this cool thing. I think it was a Thursday night, Eastern time, or maybe it was Wednesday night, Eastern time. We saw them play. And then overnight, people were trying to figure out what would happen. We wake up in the morning, again, Eastern time, and they go out and they play their last game against Denmark, uh, win it, and then sit around for a while as the scenarios were in their favor going into it. The majority Mm -hmm. of the outcomes would have led to Canada being in the playoffs, but they hit on a scenario in which they didn't make the playoffs and they were left out. But Scott, I like Jennifer Jones. I thought it was cool the moment that she had with Suzuki Fujisawa in the mixed zone. I uh, congratulating them on making the playoffs. I saw some of her interviews afterwards, just how appreciative and grateful she is to be back or was to be back at the Olympic games at this point in her career. And I don't think there's any shame in not making the playoffs. I think they didn't play as well as they could have, certainly. And and I was surprised and that Caitlin Lodge struggled as much as she did over point points of the week. But overall, I think five and four is a solid performance for this team, given that the gold medalist had the exact same record.
1: Yeah, they had the exact same record, Sean, but like there's the the one point, turning point for them all week was their epic collapse in the loss to team China. Uh, I looked at all the data from this event. Yeah. Uh, one other team lost after giving up a, fi- a four between the men's and the women's. Nobody lost after you gave up a five. Okay. In curling generally, like or after they scored a five rather. Yeah. If you score five points in an end, you should win that game. Yes, you should. And if you're looking for any blame to go around in that, it's it's that back half, how they managed the back half of that game. It was floating the outturn on a hit to score one and go up two where they ended up tied instead giving up a steal. It It just can't happen. Mm-hmm. So I think there's like a little bit of blame to go to the team for how they played that game and how they finished that game. It might've been a case where uh, Hanyu was not playing. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure why I never saw. I think they just uh, made the releases. lineup change. They, they didn't like what was going on. They made a, a lineup change. So maybe you think come into that game thinking, Oh, this, this one will be easy. We don't have to go as hard. I believe it was a morning. In Beijing as well, I think so. But just, I I know that China had a good week. They beat Sweden, but once you score a five point a five ender in the sixth end of a game, mm-hmm. you you can't let that team come back and, and beat you. And that's the reason they missed the playoffs. Yes, that is the game that
0: yeah, you win that you are in the playoffs. Uh, obviously, but. They didn't, and yeah, it was a poorly played last half of the game. I mean, don't forget too, Scott, that they had a chance in the extra, that you just had a, yeah. a pretty bad miss by Jennifer Jones in the extra to win that game. So it wasn't just a case of the last half of that game. Jennifer Jones still had a shot to win, and she missed it. So it, it just it wasn't there for her. But Jennifer Jones wasn't great over the course of the week, and we talked about this going in to the week uh, as to what can we expect from Jennifer Jones and the team overall sixth in shooting percentage for the week. But Jennifer Jones was down in eighth place amongst the skips down at 74.4%. And if you look at the numbers, she had that inconsistency that we saw during the trials where she had the stretch of good games, but then a stretch of bad games too. And you, that we said it before, that's not sustainable. You're not going to win like that. And they did not win like that. So I don't know, Scott, what what this says about larger issues in Canadian curling. There's certainly been a lot of chatter about it, but I'm not upset that they went. I think it was fun that Jennifer Jones got to go back. I would be surprised if this team stays together moving forward, but they didn't. the, The stuff that you see on social media sometimes, and I know social media is where decency goes to die, but they're not an embarrassment to the country. <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? They went five and four at the deepest field in the Olympic history and lost out on draw shot challenge.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm saying that that loss was bad and could be pinned on them. Some of their other ones weren't bad losses. Uh, they probably won some games they could have lost. But, yeah. but, but that's the moment that I point to there. And maybe something, Sean, is that maybe these Canadian curlers have gotten a little too used to perfect ice conditions. We saw in, in 2018 Rachel Holman's team struggled when the ice was a little bit tricky. Same thing here, that it, it, it seemed like the players were not adapting to the ice conditions as quickly as possible and sort of just thinking that they can make any shot regardless of the conditions. We saw curl of about four feet on this uh, ice at the Olympics, usually in the the slams we're seeing five feet, sometimes up to six feet of curl. So maybe that's something that we need to look at for our comp- our major competitions here in Canada. A lot of curl is good and players really like it because they can make any shot. But the way that it is, or that we saw at the olympics rather it, it made the guards actually like meaningful yeah which i kind of like right if yeah. you can nose hit something behind a center guard that's two feet above uh, the house and you nose hit something top four yeah. then what are we even doing here
0: <laughs> yeah
1: then it's kind of meaningless the guards are, are useless and i think that helped account
0: for some of the bigger scores is that you couldn't get at as many stones in the house because guards were meaningful and i agree i think the four foot maybe three and a half four feet of curl is the correct amount for max excitement that you can draw around stuff but it's not so much that the the guards are meaningless and this is something that i think we've talked about on the show before is what the slam should do right you know like in, in tennis each surface has its own tendencies Right? Mm-hmm. Hard court is really fast, so the big servers do really well on the hard court. Grass is a little slower, and then on the the clay, it's the really athletic people who can get side to side and slide around and do crazy stuff. That that's the key to to playing on the clay court. And I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm oversimplifying it, but in Canada, as you say, like maybe we should set it up so that different events have different ice conditions like you have an event that is known for being a little slower and a little straighter and then you have like at the briar and the scotties where the ice is super quick and a lot of curl and it forces the players to adjust more and i think when you look at some of the international teams they're used to playing on different types of ice conditions they'll come to canada they'll play in slams they'll get used to that type of the ice with the six feet really fast and you can get to anything but then they'll go play in events at home, national championships, smaller cash type spiels. When, because I'm always amazed when I look at the team schedules on curling zone and stuff, that the international teams don't always play in Canada. They play at home a lot. Mm-hmm. And those events won't have the same conditions. They might be straighter, they might be slower, they will not have the same ice conditions. And since Canadian teams don't travel internationally as much as international teams traveling, to Canada to play, maybe those teams, as you say, are just more adept and more used to changing ice conditions and can adjust better than the Canadian teams can.
1: I think that's a a very valid hypothesis that we've laid out here. Whether it's true or not, you know, tell us. I'd love to hear uh, from some of the teams how they feel about uh, different ice conditions. That said, they didn't uh, shame our country, you know. Uh, (laughs) they They did their best jennifer jones is isn't i i won't i don't want to say she's old but she's she's old for curling and yeah
0: she i think wasn't she the oldest women
1: women's athlete, athlete at the games I, or at I the think canadian so. one no
0: there was a some skier from somewhere it was like almost 50 or something i know
1: jennifer jones is almost 52 but but i mean she's a great player she's yeah. she's the greatest of all time yeah no no shame in that for sure mm-hmm. No. And And
0: if we show up next year and she wins the Scotties, no one's going to be like, what? Like, crazy. yeah, like No, and
1: she's got that in her. It's just, like, it seems like she's got fewer amazing games in her now than she did before, but when she hits those heights, it's still just as good.
0: Yeah, I think it's a case where like, maybe she has a better chance at slams than at, like, a Scotties or something. Uh, The shorter events is where she might get on that run for a week or something. Whereas, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, Scotty's is going to those longer events, maybe, maybe not as much where we've seen that fluctuation in shooting for her. So that's the Canadian story. Any other stories on the women's side, Scott, That really stand out to you. Lena Kovaleva, obviously with the tough week, they only get one win for the Russian side. I was also kind of surprised, I guess a little bit by the week that we saw out of, the Americans, uh, competitive certainly through the whole week. I didn't think it would be as competitive as they were. I, I was a little down, more down on them than you were coming into the week. A tough week for Korea. They had a chance going into that last draw mm-hmm. in their last game, uh, but they fall to four and five on the week. And uh, Denmark and Madeline Dupont, they get two wins at this year's Olympics. Uh, an improvement, doubles her win total. From 2018, Scott and I'm gonna call it right now. If she wants to, if she chooses to play, she'll be back in 2026. She'll make it again. Okay, that's insane. But that's what good. you said. That's what you said last year when I said that she would make it in 2022.
1: And th- I said that in 2018. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what I say. So uh... I I bet I always bet
0: on Madeline Dupont to get there. You tell me I'm crazy, and then she gets there. Okay. Fair enough. You just crap all over the Danish teams. You really sh- <laughs> like, you're really like. you
1: not going to be welcome in Denmark at any point. No, oh, I've never been, you know. Uh, now you can't me. go. Got to <laughs> invite me over. <laughs>
0: well, it'd be nice to Madeline DuPont. Maybe she'll have you over.
1: Uh, take yeah, you to maybe. dinner. Maybe.
0: Uh, so uh, anything else, though, Scott, on the women's side that stands
1: out? I don't think so. I think uh, we've talked it all through. Great job for Great Britain. Disappointing end for Switzerland, and a good improvement for Team Japan.
0: All right, let's uh, talk about the men's side, and it is the culmination of a career for Nicholas Adine. He gets his gold medal to round out what he needed uh, for his, you know, trophy shelf, and uh, he gets the gold medal over Bruce Mowat, winning in the final. I don't know, Scott. I did not watch this game in real time because it was a middle-of-the-night situation here in North America, but I did watch it afterwards, so I knew the results in watching the replay of the game. It was an extra end game, but I didn't think it was the greatest of games. You know, Maoit starts with the hammer, gets forced, nicotine cracks his two, then steals, and then for the rest of the game it really felt like Nicodine was in charge. He mm. gets the the blanks in 5 and 6. You do get that steal in 7, but like I don't know, Scott. It it never felt to me like they were threatened. In the 10th end, Mount did have a chance, two runbacks for Nicodine to force the single to get into the extra end, but neither of those shots were for someone of Nicodine's caliber that difficult Mm -hmm. so i I, you know it wasn't a bad game it was kind of like the women's game where it felt the whole way like one team was controlling the play in charge of the the pace of the game we just didn't see the score get out of hand the same way we saw on the women's side but i I got a very similar feeling in
1: watching that game but what was your take oh so i i wasn't able to watch it uh live either It seems to me like both of these teams respected a lot each other's abilities and weren't really willing to take huge risks to go for a a big multiple knowing that, hey, if this doesn't work out, we're going to give up a big steal. Uh, Would that be a fair characterization?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of cautious shot calling here. And uh, part Mm -hmm. of that is because they are so good at the runbacks. And it's very difficult, even with, as we talked about, where, okay, you don't, you can't throw and have the shooter make contact with one that's fully buried. They're so good at runbacks, even from 10, 12, 15 feet, that it's really hard to generate multiples, which is why we only saw one over the course of the game. But it, it, yeah, it felt like nobody really wanted to take that chance until the later ends. And and even at that, Bruce Maui waits till the 10th, and he, he had a chance. Nicodine had to make two and, and he did but mm-hmm. at, at no point did it ever really feel like there was that much pressure on the swedes
1: yeah yeah and we, i mean we maybe we'll talk another time about the tick rule but it is true that these teams are so good that in the extra end uh, it just favors the team with the hammer so 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 much uh mm-hmm. if you can make even one of the ticks Uh, and then the ability that these guys have to make double peels and, and throw run backs. So for, for team mallet going in that extra end without hammer, I'm sure that they wanted that too, uh, in the they pushed hard for it and and they pushed pushed for it because they kind of know, Hey, if we don't, if we only get our one here, we're probably not going to win.
0: When you look at that 10th end, I was amazed too. So Bruce Maui, Nicodine just makes two runbacks. He has to make a draw to at least full eight foot, maybe touch the four foot to put it into an extra end. And he puts it on the pin. And that's really got to be really hard to do. Like you're, you're mm-hmm. disappointed. You, you thought you might have made it or had a chance for the two for the win. And you got to recompose yourself and make that shot. If I was in that position, either the stone is in the stand somewhere or It's hogged and not hogged on the far hog line. I'm like letting it go and so scared to even let it go that it's hogging at the end. I'm throwing it at uh, that. It doesn't cross that hog line. Like I'd be so terrified to throw that. So full credit to him. And then in the extra end, I I think this also contributed to why I felt it was somewhat anticlimactic in the extra end is that nicotine does put some pressure on and Bruce Mowat is forced into a very difficult shot on his last Mm -hmm. to try to sit one. Uh, this He almost gets the angle right. I think it, it just goes over the top of the Swedish stone in the forefoot on his run, angle run shot that he tried. And so Nicodemus doesn't have to throw his last. Yeah, And that's, that. you know, so we don't have that moment in either game, really, where this is the shot to win the game. I mean, yeah. even your head shot for four wins the game, but it doesn't end the game. And in the men's game, we have the game end on the team that loses throwing. So it's, yeah. yeah. so it's, it's kind of disappointing. So the extra end was a little more interesting than a typical extra end because there was a few more rocks in play and Bruce mad. If he makes that shot, Nicodine's forcing into something very difficult, but he missed it and Oh, game over.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's always disappointing when it ends on a miss rather than a make. Yeah. So uh, a little, a little too bad for that, but, uh, Bigger picture, Nicholas Adine was only missing that gold medal from an Olympic Games. He's got it now. He's won everything there is to win. Uh, Sean, do we see him hang up his curling shoes? I don't know. It, it depends on what the funding situation is, in Sweden is, I
0: think, and how much money they'll get for that gold medal and what the incentive is for them to keep going. Certainly, if they want to keep playing and, and the finances make sense for them, then sure. But do real life situations start to play into it? Do they want to be at home more? Do they not want to have to spend as much time in Canada? Uh, I know a couple of them have, have talked about relationships that, you know, you want to be home more as you get a little older, perhaps. So I'll be curious to see whether or not they want to keep playing. And it really is all four of them, frankly. And, uh, or maybe does, Oscar say, I'll just do the mixed doubles thing and uh, focus on that. It's a little less of a time commitment perhaps and and maybe less time in North America. And maybe Nicodine just says, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. Uh, But the reality is that if you're Swedish curling, you might want to make it worth their while to keep going if you're trying to grow the sport. I'd be curious to talk to somebody in Sweden and maybe Jonathan and and Ryan will do this because this is really their forte. But could Nicodine, does the gold medal move the needle in Sweden in a way that the world championships don't uh, and the, mm-hmm. the world championship titles don't? Now that there's a gold medal there, can he do kind of what Schuster did in the United States a little bit and get more people out, get, get some excitement? Does the Olympics carry that cachet in Sweden? And if that's the case, that you can grow the sport even further at the grassroots level from the gold medal – then it's really a, an incentive for the Swedish curling federation to keep them going for at least another couple of years. And the other reality is too, that who are you going to send? Like we have a world championship in Vegas in a couple months. If I'm Nicodine, I'm not playing in that. I have I'm done. I'm going to rest on my Lars. I might go to Vegas. Even I might have a good time, but <laughs> I'm not playing in that event if I'm Nicodine. But so who do they send? Right. They obviously have junior teams who have gone to world championships before, but that's going to be, a, a, I think, an interesting discussion of if they're gone, then the men's game internationally, it's really Bruce Mowitz.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think we see Oscar as the, the heir apparent to the Nicholas Adin skipping a team Sweden, right? Uh, we saw adeen's old team all leave, get replaced with this uh, new younger team. I think we'll see that uh, eventually, too, that Oscar will go on to skip bring in some younger players, maybe keep one or two of the guys that he plays with now and make their run for it after this. But I don't see any reason why Nicholas Hedin would play next year, unless as you say that that financial incentive is there from the government. But anyway, you look at it, one of the greats of all time, maybe the greatest uh, that we've seen so many world championships, European championships, and now it's capped off uh, with that Olympic gold medal. So yeah, that, that would be my prediction, that we don't see him next year.
0: Yeah. I, I think certainly he's wrapped up the greatest non-Canadian men's player of all time. I think it's pretty safe to say that the two best international players of all time are Swedes now, that you have Annette Nordberg and you have Nicodine. And I don't think there's much debate there uh, in terms of non-Canadians. And then if you want to throw in Canadians to the discussion, then you look at where does Annette Norberg stack up with Jennifer Jones? Where does Nicodine stack up with Kevin Martin? And mm-hmm. that, that's kind of the discussion, really. There, there's not there's not a lot better, you gotta say. And out of a country that it's remarkable too, that Sweden keeps just churning out these great players. But from all accounts, there's not a lot of grassroots there. There's not a lot of just general interest in it. But they find these people and they come out and just dominate the game for a decade at a time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool that they can still do that and care, at least like care enough about the the game to develop one team. Yeah. Uh, You know, like we saw, maybe Norwegian women is an example of what happens when a great player like Dorty Nordby retires and then the women's game in Norway sort of falls off a cliff and we don't see them at world championships anymore
0: so let's talk about the bronze medal winner that's Brad Gushu and his team from St. John's they beat John Schuster in the bronze medal game another game that I did not watch in real time because it was uh, again in the middle of the night here in North America watch the replay of it and a great game for gushu <laughs> maybe the most relaxed medal game in the history of the, the olympics uh, in any <laughs> sport uh, both teams were pretty chill there you got two teams that uh, at least the back ends of uh, or no not even the back ends uh, out of the out of the eight players on the ice five already have gold medals in their pockets so yeah. you know not you know not as important to win one here they obviously wanted to but it was overall i think a pretty relaxed game and uh, Brad Gushu gets the win. Uh, so congratulations to them. Uh, Glance and Walker get their first Olympic medals. So uh, very exciting for them. And you saw the emotion after the semifinal loss and a little bit after the bronze medal game of Brad Gushu. I think it's pretty clear that this team is, uh, that's it for this team. It's also pretty clear that Curling Canada is allowing them to play in the briar, I think is a favor for all the the work that they've done, the effort that they've put into it. And it's really going to be a victory lap for those guys at the Briar. But you just saw it. Like when you see Brad Gushu, who's not an outwardly emotional guy, it was interesting in his interview that he talked about, he is actually kind of an emotional guy in real life, but you don't really get a sense of that Uh, when you're watching him play. As he comes around the corner, that very powerful moment, he sees his family on the screen and he just breaks down. Uh, you know, falls to his knees and Nichols is there too. That's where you just get the sense of like, this is it. And he he yeah. knows that this is it. I think his family knows that this is it. And uh, that moment, that culmination of that very famous list that he had as a kid, uh, that he's, comp- he's checked everything off that list. And mm-hmm. that that's that. So just a very powerful moment from, Brad Gusher and the whole team. And I think it was cool to see them on the podium. As we said, going into it, top three, very clear in this field. It'd be cool if they were the podium teams. They were the podium teams. So I think it's a a fair result. And if we look at the Olympics as the culmination of a quad, these are the best three teams from this quad on the men's side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Anything else would have been an upset for sure. Uh, Team Schuster played really, really well this week. I kind of dunked on them a bit on our preview saying that they wouldn't uh, do well. Sean, they were the best team throughout the week in terms of the hammer factor, which is hammer efficiency plus steel defense. Uh, They were at .76, which is like crazy. I mean, this is a real small sample, so sure you're going to get higher values on that, but uh, just crazy. Brad Gushu was second, .72. So they had a really great week, but like you say, they were pretty relaxed out there playing that bronze medal game. Earlier in the tournament, we saw Brad and Brett butting heads a little bit. Uh, it, it's not something that we've seen before. Brett is usually the the sort of second opinion on strategy. Comes down, looks at the angles a lot. Mark tends to stay close to the hack when it's his turn to throw and, and it's really Brad and Brett that have those discussions we saw this week a little bit of what, what are you doing down here Like, yeah. why, why don't you make your shots instead of talking to me about it Breckelant wasn't as strong as he usually is still way better than either of us could do <laughs> a great player but he yeah. was just a little bit off that semifinal game against Sweden I really thought was anybody's game? And Canada just missed a couple of shots by like a little bit, like half an inch here and there. Uh, and Nichols wasn't as sharp as usual. Uh, and they only lost by a point. Like, yeah, th- this team is really good. They can hang with anybody, even when they're struggling, they're still one of the best in the world. Top three finished on the podium. I agree with you. They're they're going to the Briar, I guess. Uh Yeah, they can't back Brad, out now. They've signed the contract. So Br- Brad seemed to be like, "Well, we'll see what happens. Who knows?" But uh, well, it, well, he it said seems they like agreed to fun. it before the Olympics. Which ah. he was
0: like, "Yeah, we could, of course, we could do that." And then they played in the Olympics, and they we're like, "Oh, oh and no!" And I was like, <laughs>
1: okay, "Can I go home first, guys? Uh, that'll be like you say the the real swan song." take a bow, whatever it is, victory lap. I've always said before, though, Sean, Brad Gushu can win Newfoundland anytime he wants. If, yeah. you know, he hangs him up for a year or two and says, oh, you know what? It'd be fun to go back to the Briar. Let me win Newfoundland. Hey, three guys want to play with me? <laughs> They'll win Newfoundland. Yeah. If he doesn't care not being super competitive at the Briar, he can still go. And I, I don't think we've seen the end the end of him. You know, he's a a business owner, his family's young, getting a bit older, wanting to spend more time at home with them. But this guy could do broadcasting pretty easily. I I really wouldn't be surprised to see him in the booth at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Sportsnet has a seat
0: warm for him uh, whenever he wants it. Uh, He's been part of the broadcast before, after he's been eliminated at some events. And I agree. I, I think he'll probably keep playing in some capacity. He played mixed doubles with his daughter, for instance, so maybe that's something he wants to pursue uh, for fun. Maybe do the mixed route with uh, his daughter, uh, and maybe as his other kids go older, there there could be something there. Or, God, it'd be super unfair if it was like a mixed team of Gushu, his daughter, Mark Nichols, and his wife, or something like And you're showing up at the mixed nationals, like, what? There could be something there uh that that he wants to do but he could all you're right he could play at this level again it's just the logistics of what this team is yeah. and how they can they can play because it's pretty clear that brickland is moving from newfoundland uh, from st john's he is going to go west and uh, he is not from newfoundland so he doesn't have birthright there so th- there's going to be a question uh, about that but of course those rules could very easily change uh, in the interim as well hmm but it seems to be resolved that they're not going the, to play together next year. And that game against Great Britain, the last game of the round, Robin, there was that tension. And I think part of it was them sitting there being like, why are we playing right now? <laughs> like, yeah, the game didn't really matter for them. Mattered a little bit for Great Britain that they had the chance to still finish in first place. But they just wanted to play in the playoffs. Like, they they were kind of mm-hmm. done. And Gallant was bad in that game, right? Through 64%. Yeah. And I think that's a generous 64% from yeah. the scores. And, yeah, you saw that back and forth, that the communication wasn't great. And I know I went to bed on, was that Thursday night? After that game. And I thought, like, tomorrow morning might not be good. Uh, this could be really bad. And then I wake up in the morning. They're playing great. Like, they're not yeah. playing top, top what we see from them where they're playing really good. It's a really good version of this team. And we get to the 10th. Then he's got the hammer down one and Scott that shot that he tries to play. He tries to play a run back double to score yeah. two against Nicodine could have potentially drawn for one gone to the extra. I liked the call and I think Gushu said afterwards, he, he said, I think I might make that shot one out of every, Five times, or one of every 10 times, that's still a better chance than stealing against Nicodine in an yeah. extra end if, if you're going to make that shot 10%. I liked it uh, in the moment. Of course, it would have been nicer if he had made it for him and the team, but yeah. uh, I thought that was the right call to go for the two in that moment. But what did you think? And when we're talking about overall, like the, the difference in the sport, we'll talk about Rachel Holman in a minute, but people talk about how small the differences in games are. I think that's a great example because he missed that shot by what? millimeter, yeah. centimeter.
1: And, and the thing is he even had the chance to make that shot for one, right? Just yeah. instead of making the double, just roll a bit in and you'll get your one. So it was kind of, it was a miss sweeping call that caught them on that. But yeah, I think that's the way to go. Like you said, the percentages play out better in your favor to try that than to try to steal against Nicholas Adina in an extra end. That's sort of what we saw in, in the gold medal game, right? That yeah. it's hard to steal in the in the extra. I have no problem with that uh, that choice there. And it, it sort of epitomized that whole game for Canada. They missed shots by like literally one or two millimeters, right? That the whole game, they were just like just the wrong side on a run back or uh, just an overcurl on a, a freeze attempt. Like it, it just wasn't, as perfect as it needed to be against a team as talented as, as that Swedish team.
0: So on the other side of that bracket, it is the Americans who lose to great Britain in another very exciting semifinal. Actually the semifinals mm-hmm. overall, both on the men's and women's side, we're better than the, the medal games. Yeah. Uh, you gotta say all credit to John Schuster and his team. I think coming into this field, not a lot of people gave them a chance, including us, uh, you, you're looking at Switzerland as probably that fourth place team. I know we were pretty bullish on Italy coming into this uh, on the men's side, mm-hmm. even, you know, Norway coming in uh, with, with, I, I thought a, a chance to win some games. And then Glukov was certainly a, a dark horse and somebody had to look at after the world championship last year, but John Schuster comes in, they play well, they get to the five wins. Uh, only the four teams are above 500 in this field. There's a little more of a, each other up than i thought it would have been you didn't see the, the segmentation that i thought you might but mm-hmm. they get in and so full credit to them to get back into the playoffs after what i would say is probably a disappointing quad for them and to come back to me that validated the gold medal more than anything they could have done in the interim was mm-hmm. come back and get to the playoffs play well show that you still can compete at this level and i thought it was a very good week for the americans
1: oh yeah big time and not that you know they needed to validate that gold medal; they'll always have that. That's in their back pocket. But yeah, the showing that they had this past week makes it such that we don't look back and say, "Marku Uso, Pavel Nieme, who?" Like <laughs> uh, it, 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 it sort of cements them and, and their legacy. You're right. I, I think the quad was not as successful as they might have liked, Grand Slam wise. They, they did make the playoffs in one. I don't think they won one. Yeah, this team, like they they showed that they can go out and compete with anybody, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, I think, something that we were questioning, whether they could compete with that top three, right? We knew that the rest of the field, sure, they can beat anyone on any given day. They had beaten Nicholas Adin on any given day in the gold medal game before in 2018. So this was sort of, yeah, we can still hang, guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good job by them. I mentioned some of the other teams
0: on the men's side. Like I said, very disappointing week for ROC. Everyone else, you know, Norway, Denmark, competitive games. I think I thought the Chinese put up a, more of a fight than I thought they would in those mm-hmm. games, especially given that they were kind of thrown together last minute. No international experience for the skip. So a good job by the Chinese side. There was a great story, too. The third for China he was at an event and Mike Harris told just an amazing story that this guy is, is kind of a unique fellow and has, you know, has his own strategies. And he was in the hotel at like 6am and he heard this, Mike Harris heard this beeping sound, thought it was a fire alarm called the front desk and said, Hey, like I think smoke alarm or something's going off. And the front desk called him back five minutes later and said, no, I th- we think you should just go out and see what that is. And the third for the Chinese team had set up the sensors that you put from like backline to hog line that some teams have to track how mm. fast you're, you're kicking out on the ice. And he set it up in the hallway and was walking it to get his speed right. Uh, and was just walking <laughs> back and forth uh, in the hotel at six o'clock in the morning trying to get his speed that way. So kind of, kind of a cool story. And uh, the, that Chinese side, if they decide that that's the team they want to send either to the Worlds or looking ahead, uh, or no, sorry, they're not going to the Worlds, but looking ahead next year, m- maybe this could be the start of something for Chinese men's curling, which has been lacking for a while. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They had a, a much better week than than I thought. Yeah. So uh, good times there on the men's side, Scott. Let's uh, wrap it up. We didn't really talk about mixed doubles a lot on the show, but uh, very exciting that Italy comes through, wins the gold medal. Amos, Massaner and Stephanie Constantini, they run through the field. They do not lose a game. They get the gold. How big of a deal do you think that was for the sport in general?
1: I think that's a huge deal, Sean. That Italy is hosting the next Winter Olympics. They're going to have teams in all the disciplines there. For them to sweep it is very impressive, given the variability of what can happen in mixed doubles they just made everything like Stefania mm-hmm. especially just like putting the perfect freezes at the right time uh, Retorna not return as uh, Amos Massana was there to clean things up when they when he had to there was a couple really close games that could have gone either way one of them was to team Canada on the last draw but overall like they they were just dominant
0: yeah, they didn't give an inch to anybody. And it was uh, very impressive to
1: watch over the course of the week. And Sean, uh, I believe I said on our preview that yeah. uh, look out for them. I, I obviously didn't pick them, uh, <laughs> but but look out for them. And I saw that uh, this website, I, I sometimes used a, uh, a wager money on yeah. this. Uh, I think they were 36 to 1. They were the longest wow. odds in the field. And boy, I should have placed a, a shekel sure. or two on them. they Yeah. But you did not. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> no. Uh, so
0: they beat Norway in the final. Uh, congratulations to uh, Skaslian, Kristen Skaslian, and Magnus Negraten for the silver medal. Uh, great performance for Norway. First medal, I believe, Scott, right, since uh, Uljrud in 2010 for Norway. Uh, would be my guess. First Olympic medal uh, for the country in curling. Uh, so good job, by them and sweden gets the bronze medal it is of course almeida deval and oscar Eriksson beating bruce mount and jennifer dodds in that bronze medal game so oscar Eriksson leaves beijing with two medals to his name the only individual to do that this year that was one of our 10 burning questions going into the olympics scott was somebody would, would somebody be a double medalist i believe you said yes uh, gold medal, double gold medals, we thought maybe possible, but uh, mm-hmm. didn't come through. Uh, Amos Messander really struggled during the men's side of it. And even though Oscar Erickson and Bruce Mauet didn't, it does lead to the question of what is the letdown after yeah. achieving that height and having to reset? Whereas if you're Mauet and Erickson, you could maybe make an argument, okay, we didn't achieve our goal. And mm-hmm. all right, now we got to reset because now we really like we we only have one chance left. Whereas Mosaner is like, I'm getting into uh, the good club in the village, like the gold medalist club. Like I'm, yeah. I'm hanging out. I'm doing my thing. I'm, I can do whatever I want. I am. I'm Amos Mosaner. I own the Olympic village now. What up? Uh, I'm sure that's not what he was doing, but you know, like you just wonder about what the psychology is of, you just want a gold medal. Mm. And then 36 hours later, you got to go compete again. That, that, In a sport where that's not typical, right? The skiers can do it, sure, because that's typical. That's what skiing is. You go do the slalom, then you go do the giant slalom. But in in curling, that's not that. You go to your event and then you have some time to decompress after a big event. So I'm curious about what the psychology of it. I don't know if this will affect Canada's rules at all in terms of should people be eligible to do both. I would argue that no, they shouldn't be. But I don't know. Any takeaway on on that of, of these individuals who participated in both?
1: Uh no, I I like you said uh, we saw Oscar Exxon come back, uh, play really well. Bruce Mowat also played well coming out of it. I that there's probably some truth to it that holy cow, I reached this amazing high that probably they didn't think they were going to. I I think they even said that that they're, they were surprised <laughs> to be to be 9 and 0 as was everybody. But there's got to be some kind of a letdown, right? That's why I, I sort of agree with you. I don't think that as a rule, they should play both disciplines because there, there is the chance for that letdown that we did see from Amos Massaner. great job winning the gold medal, but then yeah. How, how do you get up again? It, it's yeah. pretty, pretty tough. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah,
0: so he certainly struggled, but as you said, both uh, both he and a uh, Constantini will be in the field at the games in 2026, uh, Constantini presumably still skipping the women's team. And we'll see what uh, Joel Ray decides to do on the men's side. And uh, presumably, too, they'll be back to defend that gold medal uh, once we get to 2026. Uh, elsewhere on the mixed double side, very exciting for Australia, Talia Gill, Dean Hewitt. They get the country's first wins. At the Olympic Games, uh, one of which at the expense of Canada. Uh, Canada, uh, you know, just dishing out wins in the last couple of Olympics to, uh, to some teams. But a uh, great win for them. That was, it was pretty cool. John Morris, of course, has coached that team mm-hmm. in the past. Coached them at the Olympic qualifying event. And uh, so that was a cool moment that they got to play against each other. Surprising that they got to play against each other. Yeah. Uh, one of the big questions was, Scott, would everybody get to play? Nobody tested positive in advance of the event but Talia Gill tested positive during the event. But then I I, I still don't have the entire sequence of events in terms of exactly what happened. But I went to bed. Australia had been pulled out of the event. They were going home. I woke up. They had just beaten Canada and I was very Mm -hmm. confused. Uh, But it's good that it wasn't an outbreak at the games and that Talia Gill was okay. Just a, a very bizarre scenario there for Australia, but uh, it was cool to see another country represented in the Olympic games and getting some wins.
1: Yeah. And, and they didn't have any wins before that. And Sean, I'll, I'll correct you real quick. It's Tally Gill, oh, not me. T- Talia, but they didn't have any wins before this uh, COVID news came down. And so you thought, okay, well, if they have to forfeit their last two games, at least nobody's, nobody's suffering because they had to lose, game early in the competition that then another team gets a free win later on that was my thoughts going into it but it was the same as the the same as you sean i woke up and was legit confused
0: why there was
1: a a line score to either of the games because the second game was going on at at the time i woke up i don't know what it's like we talked about the psychology of uh the letdown what's the psychology of You know, waking up and and thinking, oh, we don't have to play this team because they're disqualified. So let's just uh, kick back. You sort of get out of your game mode. Mm -hmm. And then a couple hours later, oh, actually, no, you do have to play them in like an hour. Get (laughs) to the get to the rink. Right. Like that's really hard. And especially for a team that, you know, they think they're out. They come back. What do we have to lose? Let's just go. Let's just give them uh, all we got. And they did. And they won their last two games. Great to see uh, an emerging curling nation get to the Olympics and get wins. But uh, it's a really tough position for those teams that had to play Australia on the last day.
0: Yeah, so it was Canada, of course, and then Switzerland. And a really tough week for Jenny Prey Martin Rios. Uh, if for them, only going three and six. So disappointing week. For sure. And yeah, the the two games against australia those are the two wins uh, at the end of the week uh, so certainly a tough situation for the australians and their opponents in that situation uh, the other new country represented the czech republic uh polova and paul they go four and five so a very good week for them uh, mm-hmm. coming in so uh, as we look ahead to 2026 the Italians of course guaranteed to be in and it's going to take some work for the other nine spots uh, and who's going yeah. to be there. And we'll have a more traditional qualifying process over two years for countries to qualify for the Olympics. So it's, it's going to be tough to crack that field of 10 as we look ahead. So Scott, let's uh, talk about John Morris and Rachel Homan real quick. They of course go five and four lose on the head to head against Sweden to make the playoffs tough week for them. Never really quite got in sync. There was a lot of talk about the communication. I'm not overly concerned about the communication between the two of them. They know each other well enough. And mm-hmm. I wasn't. I didn't think that was an issue. The only thing I would say, though, is I would take some slight issue with this narrative or this idea that they missed the playoffs by a millimeter or a centimeter. Certainly in the last game, they lost on a measurement like against Italy. Yes, there, yep. there's no question about that. <clears throat> But that shot wasn't missed by a millimeter or a centimeter. That shot was missed by eight feet, and yes. the only reason it was close is because there was an Italian stone in its way, and uh, you know Rachel Holman had a shot. She had to draw the button, and she was heavy, and they knew that it couldn't come to the back end, and it was heavy pretty much the whole way and And the concern, not the concern, but what was noticeable to me in that moment is that Rachel threw it. John sort of started to sweep, Rachel screaming that he should sweep or calling an aggressive line call. She even goes to make a move to come around to help sweep. Yeah. And John says, no, call line. And and so she goes back and and calls the line. But it's one of those moments where, and Rachel has been very open since, or not very, like she's talked about it since, that she's had a tough time. amount of pressure that she felt probably both externally which is very real and and probably internally as well because she always wants to succeed and we've seen Mm -hmm. that from her over the course of her career and in that moment it it looked to me that that was kind of a panicked rachel holman after she let that stone go and she she kicked too strong and and she she overcalled the the sweep it was kind of it was it was tough to watch and she was certainly emotional afterwards And uh, her and John Morris, uh, John Morris sort of with his arm around her and saying, like, I'm here, like, it's us, Uh, we're a team. It was very powerful. And for as much as you've seen disappointment to anger at the decision that was made to have them there or at the performance itself, the two of them standing there uh, in front of Colleen Jones, just absolutely gutted like that, it's a powerful moment, and it it makes me wonder a little bit about what expectations do we put on these players. And she missed a shot at the end of a game, like so. so what? I do that every week, um, you know. Like, and, and I know I know it's not the same, and, and we can't equate what what we do when we play with athletes at the highest level, both in terms of the expectation on them from forces like curling Canada and, and what they put on themselves. But nobody should be in a position or you don't want somebody to be in a position where they're talking about, you know, it being that difficult and and talking about being in like a black hole after losing a sporting event. And, you know, when I, when I look back at that shot and I've watched it since Rachel Holman has posted about how difficult the time she's having, mm-hmm. that's what I see in that shot is somebody who went through that in 2018 doesn't want yeah. to go through it again in 2022. And, honestly it, it kind of took away some of the enjoyment of the rest of the games for me a little bit, that this is what can happen to the players when overall it's, it's a stupid sport. It's a stupid game. It's 40 pound rocks on ice. Uh, it shouldn't be that crushing. And, you know, curling geek tweeted that he he feels as though maybe the Olympics has taken away more than it's given the sport. I think that might be true in Canada. I don't know about the rest of the world, but I don't know, Rachel Holman might be the the epitome of that right now for me. And, you know, th- there's a movement and people are sending letters via the Ottawa Curling Club that we'll get to Rachel and uh, just know that I-, I know for me, being a two-time Olympian should be something that brings a lot of pride and a lot of joy to her and her family because that is a remarkable achievement in any sport, let alone curling in Canada, being able to do it twice. And at her age too, right? Like she still yeah. has more cycles if she wants. So
1: I, I don't know, Scott, I, that's sort of my monologue about it. It's tough because as a Canadian, the pressure to perform in curling is there given the the history that our nation has with the sport, right? Canada has been the, the best curling nation since nat- world championships were, were formed. Uh, Scotland invented the game. They say Canada perfected it, right? So there's going to be pressure just from the weight of history on your shoulders when you look back at the Olympians who came before winning medals every time. We hadn't missed a medal in curling at all until 2018. And for it to happen to both the men's and women's team at the same time, was pretty hard, I'd say, for the curling public here in Canada to accept, uh, especially a lot of the casual curling public who hop on for these Olympics and think, hey, what's different? Like, we won double gold in 2014. How are we missing the playoffs? So understanding the way that you and I do, how much uh, the other countries have improved, mostly at the top, not, not at the, the breadth of curling in other countries, but the top level teams are playing every week in Canada in Grand Slams, are just as good, if not better, than almost every team that we have. So I I think, I I was thinking of this watching the bobsled, Sean, on Sunday morning thinking, if Canada could put four teams in to the curling tournament the way that The German bobsledders have three or four teams. It increases your chances for sure, because I guarantee that our third best team is going to be just as good as most of the countries in the field. It's just not the way that the game works and that's fine, but it's something that you can't like, you can't take it personally unless you're the one that wants to go and represent Canada. right? Right? Yeah. Like, if you're not going to get better at curling and go do it, then, then whatever, just uh, (laughs) relax, relax. Yeah.
0: It's a sport. These people are out there pursuing their dreams. Uh, They're trying their best. Like they're not trying to lose games. Uh, They're out there. And you know what? The other people are good like that. We have to do. Remember that, that, you know, I heard this a lot when I, when I worked for the blue Jays and people would boo when the, the game was going poorly. And people would say, you know, if I went to the theater and I I was watching a show, if I like went to the Phantom of the Opera and the show was bad, I would be right to boo. I'd be like, yeah, but if you go to the Phantom of the Opera, there's not somebody who's getting paid a million dollars to try to interfere with the guy playing the Phantom to do his job. Like there's people who are actively trying to interfere with your ability to succeed in sports. and. I think the majority of curling fans are good and positive and send positive vibes to them. But yeah, it's that vocal minority that uh, is unfortunate that we see. And you're right. If it was an event where say the top 10 teams in the world qualified, Canada would win a lot of medals in that, uh, in in all three disciplines and more so probably mostly in the men's and probably the mixed doubles than the women's uh, probably in that order. But Mm -hmm it doesn't work that way and thank god it doesn't that cuz then they'd have to start the curling thing in january uh, yeah. if you wanted to set up those teams uh there and, and uh, you know I, I if part of it too is canada not winning medals you know two medals in the last two olympics right sweden won 3 in this in this olympics, uh, in this olympics. but if part of that is making it more interesting for canadian fans potentially that it's not a given that Canada's going to win. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you can watch with some intrigue. It's not like in '98, where it's just how many points is Schmirler going to win by? It's not is she going to win, it's just by how much is she yeah. going to win in a lot of the games. I think that's a good thing. And the overall health of the sport that more countries being competitive, giving examples to kids in other countries. Uh, that they can watch on TV, maybe makes them want to go try the sport, gets their family out to try the sport. Uh, hopefully that will continue to go, right? The the World Curling Federation has a lot more member associations today than it did in 1998. There are more curlers worldwide today than there, are, than there were in 1998. It's contracting in Canada, which isn't great but internationally the sport is healthier than it has been in a long time. So I don't know what the answer is other than be nice to the athletes. Cause they're trying their best.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but at the same time, Sean, you can't score five points in a game and lose. That's, uh, it was a bad loss. And Jennifer Jones said
0: that she's like
1: a yeah, yeah. bad loss. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm just trying to square away what I said at the beginning of the podcast with what I'm saying yeah. now that, uh, you can still criticize, but, attacking people personally. There's no place in the game for that.
0: Yeah, there's room, there's space for, you know, considered uh, analysis of what is happening on the ice. There's not room uh, or space for attacks, uh, personal attacks. That's right. Boom. All right, so uh, there you have it. Anything else from Beijing 2022, Scott?
1: I'm sure some stuff will come to mind, but uh, we're going to talk more down the road about, uh, different events. And so if something comes up that I think of, maybe I'll hop on the old Twitter machine or, right. or whatnot, but, uh, that's all I can think of for now. Uh, it was okay. fun. It's, it's now over. Uh, I, I listened to podcasts today from two weeks ago that I just hadn't listened to cause curling was always on. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we're, 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 catching up.
0: Yeah. Things are chugging along here and, uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of discussion over the next uh, few months calls for a curling summit in canada and when do we do the trials there's there's certainly a lot of stuff domestically that we can talk about uh, but also internationally it'd be fun to follow along with what uh, what's going on in italy after this uh, what is the follow-up in scotland sweden and uh, just sort of what what is the aftershoot of that and even in australia where uh, word of a dedicated facility uh, if they had made the Olympics was was discussed. So we'll see if that comes through. So there's a lot to follow off of the events in Beijing, but that'll do it for today. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show because we still got a lot to go in this season. We still got a briar. We still got Paralympics. We got two world championships. We still got two slams. And then we have 95% of the teams in Canada at least breaking up and finding new people to play with so uh, a lot mm-hmm. to talk about so do subscribe wherever you get your podcast do the likes ratings comments all that fun stuff helps other people find the show keeps us growing you can also follow along at game of stones pod on Twitter and Instagram game of stones podcast on Facebook and head on over to game of stones where you can find all of our past episodes plus the merch is available under the merch tab. All proceeds to the Sandra Schmirler Foundation and Food Banks Canada, which we match. So we send those off at the end of every month. And of course, if you want to let us know what you want to hear on the show, Game of Stones podcast at gmail.com. And uh, Jerry, I appreciate that you agree with me on the color of the handles that actually made me feel very validated. I thought I was the only one who cared. So thank you <laughs> for that. So Scott, that's it for the Olympics. How much of a break are you going to take before you feel like you want to watch a game? Like, are you going to watch any of the Scottish or the Swiss championships?
1: Uh, probably. Yeah, probably next weekend if I'm up uh, yeah. early, you know, I'll, I'll put some on YouTube while I put around in here. Uh, you know, that's, right. but uh dedicated sitting down just watching yeah probably not yeah take a bit of a break and
0: uh yeah that's that's good those swiss and uh, scottish championships you're right that'll be good as like background pay attention well, certainly in the playoffs championships it will be fun to watch and uh good luck to all those participants and uh we will be back next week talking briar paralympics getting y'all set for the next round of big time curling action but until then Keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern.